Well, this morning, we are going to take a look here at Matthew chapter 2, verses 12 through 23. Matthew chapter 2, verses 12 through 23. And uh have to confess, uh, I was initially planning, thinking, yeah, we'll do some Matthew, we'll do some Luke. And uh, as I sat down and started looking at Luke again, it dawned on me uh, that Luke didn't have the things that I thought it had in it. Uh, and by that, I mean some of the Old Testament prophecy stuff. And I, it's like, duh, remember your biblical theology, O seminarian. Um, Luke, Luke was not so much into the Old Testament. He was, he was writing for a Gentile audience. So, of course, he's not going to spend a lot of time quoting Old Testament stuff. Matthew, on the other hand, uh, he was writing for a Jewish audience. That's why he's got all of the uh, the prophecies and things in his uh, in his text. So we're going to take a look here uh, at Matthew chapter two, and uh, we are going to actually begin here in verse thirteen. It says, "When they had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream." Now. When they had gone, this is the three wise men. Uh, or, I mean, we say three wise men because of the song. Uh, we don't know how many wise men there really were. Uh, we also say three wise men because of the three gifts, for, you know, frankincense, gold, and myrrh. Um, we don't know how many there were. There might have been one. There might have been ten. Who knows? Uh, we do know we've got a sense of the gifts, but other than that, we don't really know how many of these guys showed up. Uh, but that is that is who is left. And I, I did see a, a good joke, though, that said, um, you know, three wise men show up bringing gold, frankincense, and myrrh, which are completely useless to a newborn baby. If it had been three wise women, she would have brought, you know, diapers, wipes, and uh, dinner. So I uh, thought, thought that was kind of on point uh, based on having a couple of kids. So, all right, back to the text. Uh, so when they had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said. Take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you. For Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. So he got up, took the child and his mother during the night, and left for Egypt, where he stayed until the death of Herod. And so was fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet, Out of Egypt I called my son. When Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious. And he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity, who were two years old and under, in accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi. Then what was said through the prophet Jeremiah was fulfilled. A voice is heard in Ramah, weeping in great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children, and refusing to be comforted, because they are no more. This is God's word. So, uh, Joseph, Mary, Jesus, they head out on the road. They go in to exile. We talked last week about this exile motif and how important it was in, in the prophecy, right? As we, as we looked back at uh, what was said in the prophet Micah and, and how it was there that, you know, the... First century Jews were, man, they had, they had all those images of this conquering king who's going to come and save, save them from exile and get them out from under the oppressive thumb of Rome. 
right? Because this was the these were the prophecies that they were holding on to. Well, there was other prophecies from this time of exile, and the biggest one, maybe the one outside of Isaiah that has the greatest shadow, is Jeremiah. And Jeremiah, this this text, this Jeremiah text, man, it might be the key that unlocks the whole connection between Old Testament and New Testament, between you know before Christ and after Christ. Jeremiah, you start reading through Jeremiah and you start seeing Messiah language all over the place. You start seeing Jesus language all over the place. And so it's no wonder that, that Jeremiah had captured the early church's imagination. And that is, that is who Matthew quotes here as a promise of fulfilled prophecy, right? In verse 18, that, that little bit, a voice heard, is heard in Ramah, weeping in great mourning. Rachel weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted because they are no more. There was heartbreak. This child who had been born into the world, this, this king of the Jews, right, had shown up. And what did the current king want to do? Solidify his power and make sure that nobody could challenge his power. And so the best way to take care of that was to kill this young upstart king of the Jews. Well, he didn't know where he was. So like any good earthly power, he says, I know what I'll do. I'll just kill them all. I'll kill every little baby boy that's about the same age. Because if I wipe them all out, then I'll be sure to wipe the one out. So there was weeping. There was weeping. This is we don't think about you don't think about Christmas time and the slaughter of babies. That's not exactly our our picture of of Yuletide cheer, right? Joy to the world, the Lord has come, and Herod killed all the babies. That's not that's not the song, right? That's not the song. This is one of those moments in the scriptures that we tend to kind of gloss over. Because when else are you going to really preach this text? You preach it during, I mean, this is Christmas text. This is still, this is, you know, this is where we're at. This was heartbreak. This is awful. This is gross. This is evil. This is Christmas. You see, the coming of the King, the coming of the Messiah, the coming of this beautiful baby, this joy to the world moment, came hand in hand with heartbreak. It came hand in hand with hundreds, if not thousands and thousands of mothers losing their sons. Blood was shed. Innocent. Blood was shed by an evil king to consolidate his power. This is as much the story of the coming of the Messiah as all of the warm, fuzzy stuff that we talk about. The stuff we like to talk about. Right? The, the image of the, the angels and 
the shepherds coming to worship and you know the cute little nativity scenes with the cute little animals and all that kind of stuff. We love all those warm, fuzzy images. This is part of it. Because this world that we live in is not clean and perfect and beautiful and easy. This world that we live in is filled with heartbreak. It is filled with evil, powerful people who are trying to consolidate their power and will do so at all costs. That is the reality of Christmas. But the reality of Christmas is that it's not just weeping. It's not just evil. It's not just heartbreak. And we get that from the context of this prophecy. So if you would turn with me to Jeremiah chapter 31, we're going to take a look at the rest of this passage. You see, Jeremiah is known as the weeping prophet. He is the one that is uh, most likely is the one who, who wrote the book of Lamentations. You want to you get, uh, get, get, get your feels going, right? Read Lamentations. It was emo before emo was emo. It was, it's depressing. And Jeremiah is probably the guy that wrote it, the weeping prophet, because it is all sad. The stuff in Jeremiah is all heartbreak. And yet, at the same time, there is great hope. So, um, let's take a look here at Jeremiah chapter 31. And uh, let, me, let me remind myself where I'm at. Uh, so, um, shoot. I should have looked. This is the problem, guys, with no notes. I should have brought them down here and I didn't. So give me half a second. Jeremiah 31.15. There we go. I'm glad my Bible's got footnotes. All right. Jeremiah 31.15. It begins like this. Says, this is what the Lord says. A voice is heard in Ramah. Mourning and great weeping. Rachel weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted because they are no more. Okay, we got that part. But then verse 16, this is what the Lord says. Restrain your voice from weeping and your eyes from tears, for your work will be rewarded, declares the Lord. They will return from the land of the enemy. So there is hope for your descendants, declares the Lord. Your children will return to their own land. You see, you have this, this, this thing about the weeping, this thing about the fact that Rachel's children are no more, this this, this heartbreak. But then the Lord also says, hold on. You're going to come back out of exile. You are going to be returned. There will be joy. It is, it is coming. I promise. And at the beginning of, of Jeremiah 31, it says this. It says, the Lord uh, appeared to us. This is in verse 3. The Lord appeared to us in the past saying, I have loved you with an everlasting love. I have drawn you with unfailing kindness. I will build you up again, and you, virgin Israel, will be rebuilt. Again, you will take up timbrels and go out to dance with the joyful. Again, you will plant vineyards on the hills of Samaria, and farmers will plant them and enjoy their fruit. There will be a day when watchmen cry out on the hills of Ephraim, Come, let us go up to Zion, to the Lord our God. 
This is what the Lord says. Sing with joy for Jacob. Shout for the foremost of the nations. Make your praises heard and say, Lord, save your people, the remnant of Israel. See, I will bring them from the land of the north and gather them from the ends of the earth. Among them will be the blind, then the lame, expectant mothers and women in labor. A great throng will return. They will come with weeping. They will pray as I bring them back. I will lead them beside streams of water on a level path where they will not stumble because I am Israel's father and Ephraim is my firstborn son. You see, it isn't it interesting that as they, this, this, in the first century, as they're looking at the coming of this Messiah and they saw what was happening, they said, oh, we see it now. Because remember, Matthew wrote this gospel after Jesus, right? He, he wrote the gospel after Jesus had been resurrected. And, and the church had been found in this, this the, the way was, was going. Matthew wrote this gospel looking back. And as he's looking back, and he's thinking about the prophecies that were circulating at the time of Christ, the, the, the prophecies that were circulating about the Messiah, and he's looking at what was happening, and he said, wow, this awful thing happened, which resonates very deeply with what we see in Jeremiah. This, this bit about you know, about the mourning and the great weeping. But then, what else did we see? We saw the hope of the nations through the resurrection of Christ bring about newfound joy. Because, a, because the Messiah didn't die. The Messiah rose again. And so we've been brought out of exile. Remember last week we talked about how Jesus moved exile from some political reality to an inward reality. An exile of the heart. And now, here we are. And, it, and it's, this, it's this Jeremiah 31 passage is all about the hopefulness of what will happen. And Matthew says, you see, we had to go through the weeping so that we could get to the joy. We had to go through the weeping to get to the joy. And I love, I love it in 31, this idea of when the people would return from exile, when they would come back into the promised land, how would they be coming back? They would be coming back with weeping. But it's not the weeping of Rachel, whose, whose children have been wiped out. It is a weeping of joy. Isn't that remarkable? Do you, have you ever thought about it? Have you ever thought about how those two things, heartbreak and joy, potentially our two most powerful emotions. Both are marked by weeping. You can look at somebody who is weeping, who is ugly crying, and you know what? You can't necessarily tell by how they're by the fact that they're crying, by the fact that they're weeping, if it's joy or heartbreak. That is remarkable. Our two greatest emotions, uh, the, the only way we can respond is through weeping. He says, yes, there is weeping of heartbreak because these, these children have been wiped out. And yet, there is weeping of joy when the exile is lifted and when you return back fully into the presence of God. And Matthew says, guys, hello, this has happened. We've gone through the season of weeping through heartbreak. And now we have come to the season of weeping 
with joy. It is both and. Our lives, and is that not true of our lives? Are our lives not lived between these two tensions of great heartbreak and great joy? We move between the two. And the two shape us. And the two make us who we are. Those mountaintop experiences that we look back on and we go, wow, that was awesome. Those are core memories, right? They're the things that that really do help us become who we are. And yet we also look at the deepest valleys, the places of greatest heartache and greatest heartbreak. And are not those also the things that most deeply shape us and make us to who we are? And so then we journey on the trail from, from joy to heartbreak, from one kind of weeping to the next kind of weeping. And as we move into this year, as we move into this next season of life, I think the things that we can be pretty sure of is that at some point in the next 12 months, there's going to be great weeping. There's going to be great weeping. There's going to be some great weeping from heartbreak. There will. There will be... We, we will... We will resonate with Rachel's daughters in Ramah. There are women today in Ramah who are weeping. In a very real way. There are daughters of Rachel in Ramah who are weeping in a real way today. This this text is as timely now as it ever was. And there will be, there will be a time where there is going to be weeping from joy as well. There are going to be such good things that happen that will bring us to a place of joyful weeping. And the beauty of it is, as followers of Jesus, is that we get to look at both of those and we get to see God's hand, God's sovereign good hand in it. And when, and when we're in the valley, when we are in the place, in that deepest, darkest pit of despair, where we resonate with the daughters of Rachel, we can know that there will come a point where we will rejoice with weeping because our Savior lives, because the Messiah has brought us out of exile, because the Messiah, though He died, didn't stay dead. He conquered death. He conquered He conquered the powers of evil. He conquered the power of sin in darkness. He conquered the things that drive someone like Herod to go and kill every little boy under the age of two. Christ conquered that on the cross. And so we are able from our deepest, darkest despair to look at the horizon and know that the Son lives. That Christ lives and He reigns. And we can rest in that. And we can trust in that. We can be turned in hopeful in hopefulness towards a hope of joy, towards the hope that the night of weeping in sorrow and heartbreak will come to an end. That, that I think, as we think about Christmas, man, 
That, that for me makes Christmas all the more. It makes it all the more. That it's not just, you know, cutesy little stuff. It's not just some fat guy in, a, in an obnoxious jingle jangle suit sliding down chimneys. It's not just a cute chubby little baby who for some weird reason doesn't cry. No, it is about the coming of the one who conquers sin and death. It is about the one who moves into the neighborhood and brings hope in the darkest pit of despair so that we might be able to live with a joy that transcends our heartache. So that we too might be able to move from weeping to joy. And so, as a result, we, we eat a meal. We eat a meal, right? Today, we will, we will share communion for the first time since Advent began. I think, it's, I think it's timely. I think it's poignant that we talk about this reality of moving, moving from heartache, from weeping to joy, and then, we, and then we eat this meal together. Because when we eat the Lord's Supper, when we take the Eucharist, when we, when we have communion, it is this physical representation and this physical reminder of what Christmas ultimately is about. It is ultimately about a resurrected Savior who brings hope so that we might have joy even in the darkest of moments. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, as, as we move out into this world where it so often feels like there is, there is no hope, feels like we live in a, in a constant state of, of being in the pit, Lord, we are reminded that we move from weeping to joy from mourning to joy. Because, because Christ came. Because He showed up. And so Lord, would You help us to follow in His footsteps? Would You help us to be bringers of joy? Would You help us to be the people who bring light and love into a dark world? Would You help us to rest in the knowledge and the truth and the reality of Your great love? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.